Well, some people find this news scary. At least that was the opinion uh, of some today. Elon Musk has taken full control of Twitter after that drawn-out legal battle in months of uncertainty. The closing of the $44 billion deal last night, again, came after all that drama that led up to it. Um, Two people familiar with the deal say the billionaire is already, the world's richest man, really, has already ousted three top Twitter execs. Uh, He changed his Twitter profile to Chief Twit, and last night he tweeted that Bird has been freed, a reference to the platform's logo. It's causing a bit of consternation. What exactly is he up to? What does he mean? What's he going to do with this new toy that he's just paid $44 billion for? A social media platform with more than 200 million daily active users. It's a big platform. It has a lot of impact. Uh, it's used by a lot of uh, a lot of people. Already the takeover is being touted by some as a victory for the more conservative side of things in the so-called culture wars. Um, but Musk is going to have to find a way to balance making money with his big ideas for free speech on the platform. And his biggest act will likely be finding a way to make money on the investment while transforming the company to support some of his values like free speech. Here is University of Toronto technology lecturer Daniel Che. He's not in it to lose money. And that means he can't make it a hellscape for advertisers, as he puts it. Um, there's a balance between controversy and negativity, which does, in fact, drive engagement. Uh, Brandon Che there. Musk only took over Twitter this week, but again, uh, there's speculation he's going to start letting some controversial figures who've been banned back onto the platform, reducing some of those moderation effects that the company had been uh, attempting, not always successfully, but at least attempting over the past while. So how much will change and what, if any, real impact will Musk have? Uh, joining me now with more on this is Brandy Nonaki. She's the founding director of the Citrus Policy Lab at UC Berkeley. She is a technology and human rights fellow at the Carr Center for Human Rights Policy at the Harvard Kennedy School as well. Brandy, thank you so much for your time on this Friday night. Yeah, thank you for having me, Ben. It's hard to uh, overstate just how much coverage this has gotten in the last 24 <laughs> hours. Uh, I mean, it's so really much. been talked about it's so much. Uh, is it worth it? I mean, is that much going to change? I guess in many ways, it's just, you know, the soap opera of him and the company and so forth. But do you think it's going to have a huge impact on the platform itself? Yes. <laughs> yes, I absolutely yes. do. Yes. Um, yeah, we're seeing right now some of those changes, right? And, you know, he, as you mentioned in the opening remarks, he laid off three of the, you know, C-suite execs right away at the beginning. He's talking about how he doesn't want to have a free-for-all hellscape um, and that he'll implement appropriate engineering changes that will mitigate this. But I think it's really important to emphasize that these are not solely engineering challenges. These are socio-technical challenges. And I think there's some really interesting issues I'd like to bring up with you about his role at the helm of Twitter, and especially in relation to his role in his other companies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the truth is, and we've seen this with other platforms as well, and I think uh, Ian Bremer at Eurasia Group's talked about this a lot. The owners of these platforms become sort of, you know, monarchs. They, they, they sort of live outside. They have a certain free reign, so to speak, when it comes to, to the sharing of information. Um, so there's a lot of power there and the power is, is in his hands now. And, and I guess that's um, something we should talk about. It's something we should consider exactly what that means and where he's going to try to take it. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree with you more. And look, you know, for Musk right now, it's clear that he's sort of treating it like it's all fun and games, right? Literally carrying a sink into Twitter headquarters just to make a point. Also today, yeah. tweeting out some obscene jokes. 
and making software engineers actually print out their code from the last 30 to 60 days, which is a ridiculous request and feels more like hazing than anything else. But the harms of social media are very, very real. And since Elon likes a good pun, I mean, I hope actually that the reality of the situation he's in sinks in and that he takes this role seriously. I saw the GM has already halted advertising. Imagine, you know, he wants to monetize this. That's what he said he's going to do. Um, advertising is, is, is a part of that. Uh, he'll have to watch yeah. out because advertising, money, money talks, right? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we, we keep saying this free-for-all hellscape, but yeah, you, you can't have just all content on there. Advertisers want to be advertising in a place that adheres to norms and standards of ethical and responsible behavior. It's going to be really interesting to me how he draws the line on what speech is allowed and what speech is not allowed on the platform. It's also not lost on me that he and many of his, um, you know, colleagues or friends on the right have really pushed back against platforms censoring their speech. Yet these platforms are private companies that have the right to be able to block speakers they want to. They are not the government. In the United States, the First Amendment only applies to government restriction of speech. This is a private company. They can do whatever they want. And I am very concerned about what quote, free speech looks like under uh, Chief Twit. Yeah. Um, where where does that, I mean, I've, I've following this, I mean, today there was a lot of cheering on one side of the culture wars in America. Here too, here too, there was a lot of cheering. Do you think that's justified? I mean, Elon Musk, it strikes me as someone who kind of marches to the beat of his own drummer and isn't exactly loyal to either side of any of these culture wars. I'm not sure about that. I do think he likes a a good following and he likes to go viral. Uh, I think he likes to say things that are shocking just to get attention. And I also think that we need to be mindful of how with him in control of Twitter, this very powerful platform, how he might use that platform to benefit his other business ventures right now. Twitter operates in countries around the world. Those countries are lucrative markets for Tesla What is he going to do when those countries come to him and say, hey, we want you to block this user or remove this content or else we're not going to allow you to operate in our country? We'll see what the choice makes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, you you make a good point there. I mean, we've seen this before with sort of the good old fashioned newspaper, right, owned by newspaper barons who had many financial interests and other things and bought these papers to to sort of promote their own views and promote their own political views and uh, support the parties they liked and so forth. I mean, we're sort of heading back in time, aren't we, a little bit, but with a much more um, efficient means of communication in Twitter. when you look at, at, at sort of bringing back some of the people who have been banned, is that, is that going to be sort of the, the litmus test for now as to how, where he's taking this? If we start to see some of the people that have been barred starting to reappear, most notably, of course, the former president. Yeah, I think so. I, I do think he will bring him back on to the platform. <laughs> I do. Really? I do. Yes, I think yeah. he will. If, if for anything, for the likes, <laughs> for the tweets, the retweets. Um he loves to be shocking. So yeah, I think he would just do it for the attention. When you look at, I mean, today, a lot of the, um, a lot of the sort of noise or conversation was around, you know, people dropping off sort of progressives leaving Twitter uh, because of what's happened. And uh, a lot of uh, 
people on the other side of this whole divide um, joining Twitter today. Uh, is, is is that something that, I mean, I, it struck me as being a bit premature to sort of start dropping off the, the platform just because it's been taken over on day one. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's more of a statement. And I you know, although in the same breath, I will say, I, I believe there are people who are vulnerable on the platform and have faced a lot of harassment, even under Twitter when it was trying really hard to mitigate harassment. And now you have this individual coming into a position of power within the company who is known for using the platform to troll and harass people. So I do understand why some people are leaving. I have not left. I'm still on Twitter. Uh, feel free to follow me, listeners. I tweet out a lot <laughs> about platforms. Um, and I think, yeah, things are going to change. It's going to look a little different, but I do think in the long run, you know, he has to make money, right? This has yeah. to be profitable. So He's going to have to implement some really, you know, robust even, content moderation strategies. I'm not even sure what that would look like because, of course, Twitter's never made money. Right. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you know, it's, isn't it interesting? It, it seems like he's, you know, taking over a, a platform that he just loves and wants to be in control of. What did you make of all that talk that he didn't really want it? He sort of got forced into it. Do you think that was all a ploy? That's what I used to think. <laughs> yeah. I did. Um, yeah. yeah, I did an interview um, right when it was first announced. Um, you know, when he first announced he wanted to buy Twitter, I said, no way. You know, because he had stock in Twitter at that time. And I said, oh, he's probably just trying to inflate that stock price. Like exactly the same thing he did with Tesla. You know, and I called his bluff. And now I'm a little bit surprised because, you know, Twitter tried to give him like some opportunity to not do it. And he kept pushing it. So here he is. Here he is with it. Now, so that listeners understand, Twitter now becomes a private company again. It's his. Um, what is that? I mean, you know, there's regular there's regulators out there, whether it be in America or Canada or the EU specifically. Um, yeah. Twitter doesn't exist, you know, in, in a universe of its own control necessarily. Uh, but now that it's a private company, what does that change in terms of how much oversight and control uh, people, how much more power essentially the owner of Twitter has to run the company as he sees fit? Yeah, he has absolute power. I mean, well, of course he he has, you know, his board, but yeah, he has the power. And in the United States, especially, we have the First Amendment, which actually protects platforms' decisions about the content that they feed up in their recommender system. So what you see when you're scrolling through Twitter, they have all of the rights to be able to decide how that content is curated and it, they're protected in that. So we'll see uh, what happens um, in his new role of <laughs> controlling yeah. the narrative. One thing I was surprised to learn about today, because we should have known, I mean, we should always remember this if you've used Facebook, is that all of the content belongs to them too. So if, you have, if you're direct messaging people on Twitter, it doesn't only belong to you, it belongs to, the, belongs to them too, right? Yeah, it does, right? Yeah, they have troves and troves and troves of data and data that they just hold for future potential value. But we do have new data privacy laws that are putting some guardrails on that behavior. Um, for example, the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation has some rules in place that you can only collect data that you need for the provision of that service to try to, you know, emphasize uh, purpose, like data minimization and purpose use limitation. 
in the US, we also have the California Consumer Privacy Act and the California Privacy Rights Act. So we also have something here domestically, federal level, another piece of legislation proposed. So there, there are some guardrails going in place on that. But yeah, they have, they have absolute um, control. Uh, Brandy, just because of where you are, I had to ask you about this Nancy Pelosi story today, because uh, just across the bay, right? Um, speaking right. of sort of, you know, online uh, hate and so forth. Uh, but what's the what's the atmosphere been like there today? It must be it must be a bit dark. Yeah. Dark, dark, dark. You know, we hate I hate and everybody around me that it's come to this place. I think it's really important that members of the conservative party really take to heart that their words matter and that by you know spreading misinformation and disinformation targeting the other political party um the true cost of doing that yeah i guess nancy pelosi i mean for those who don't know uh the house speaker she's been a, a frequent frequent target of uh of, of attacks uh, and, and really sort of the straw person uh, for a lot of the more uh, aggressive or at least uh, unfortunate side of, of the far right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And actually there have been studies that show that women in government are often more targeted on social media with harassment and hate speech than their male counterparts. Yeah, for listeners who don't know, um, Pelosi's 82-year-old husband, Paul, was attacked in their home in San Francisco by an intruder uh, with a hammer. There's a lot of things that still remain somewhat unclear, but the uh, intruder was arrested. Uh, He has a connection to Canada, actually. Apparently grew up in Powell River, B.C., before moving down to California about 20 years ago and uh, was uh, heard to be saying, where's Nancy when he went into the house? You may recognize those words from the January 6th. Um, storm, you know, January 6th incident at the Capitol in Washington as well. And Pelosi has become a real polarizing figure, at least on one side of this equation. Um, it, it is a reminder, though, about, you know, the, what it means for uh, different platforms. I mean, the way that misinformation and the way that information period um, can leave the page or the tweet and end up causing real harm. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to make that point too, that we often, you know, have thought of these online platforms as purely online, but the rhetoric really spills over into the real world. And you have these instances of violence and uprisings, you know, look at the January 6th insurrection and then other countries, right? We've seen genocide uh, be fueled by race-based harassment on social media. These are yeah, it, platforms play such an important role in our society, almost as the de facto public sphere, which is quite troubling to think that something that's so dear to a functioning democracy is privatized. And now yeah. in the United States owned by, uh, you know, Elon Musk. Yeah, I, I guess from from your vantage point, Musk needs to take this a little more seriously to understand uh, what exactly it is he's just purchased oh yeah uh, a, he's way in over his head way in over his head well brandy nautiki thank you so much for your time tonight i appreciate it have a nice weekend thank you so much and i want to say hi to my aunt karen who's listening to me there in canada oh uh, whereabouts is karen your aunt karen tonight she's in ontario oh great uh well Hello to Aunt Karen as well, and I'm glad we could have Brandy on. So you can speak to each other this way. It's, a, it's an interesting way to say hello. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>